the thing which I've really been feeling very challenged about is, um, and what God, I think, has really been speaking to about, is what I call a theology of the heart. Um, I think in the context of where we are as a church um, and as a people, and, and in particular when I look out and see what God is doing across the world, which is a lot of shaking in the churches, and uh, we hear all the time just about how things are going through. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in science. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in genetics. There's a lot of stuff happening in politics. Um, we really do need to understand what is the core of our faith and what is the foundation on which our, um, our faith rests on. And, um, and so I've really felt, why must I loud? Uh, I've really felt God really challenging um, me on, on the issue of a, of a theology of the heart. Um, and what does that mean, actually? Um, there are many aspects um, to this. I mean, what we can look at in the Bible, actually, it refers to the heart 800 times uh, when you go from the New Testament to Old Testament. I've got a terrible echo here. Okay, and I'll adjust it. Okay, so I move more forward. <laughs> People's eyes were opened on spit. It's one of the most key themes that exists. This is not a very good start. This, this is one of the most key themes that, that exists. <laughs> That exists within scripture. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. This reminds me of when I was in. Um, it reminds me when I was trying to actually deliver something in Bangalore um, one day, and they, I was doing an education session with, with the IBM team, and was going through. And next door to me, they had it was a hotel that they'd hired the venue from, and then and next door opened up was clearly a wedding practice. And if you've ever heard the cacophony from a true Indian wedding. I had to somehow keep focused on talking about right assortments and right ranges, and <laughs> in the middle of you know, Jai Ho, it was it was quite a, it was it was a, it was a very very interesting time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it was to focus again, everybody, zoom down. Um, when we talk about the heart, people have quite different perceptions of it. Um, it's a very interesting thing that, that the New Testament or, or, or certainly Christianity focuses on the heart because if you look at other religions, the heart isn't, really doesn't play much part at all. You have one whole stream which is just really focused on external behavior. The heart is, it doesn't count per se. Um, all really that is demanded of you is that you follow certain rules go to um, church or temple or whatever it is a certain amount of times a day, that you pray a certain amount of times, that you fulfill certain religious obligations, and that is adequate for you to prove your devotion or whatever that, that's there. It's never really an issue of motive, it's an issue of observance. When you look at it from a secular side, you get actually almost a different sort of view on it, and, and that is um, it's very individualistic, but again, it's not about the heart as a community or as what God would understand as the moralistic heart. It's all about the heart as is determined purely by your own behavior. So it's that whole to be or not to be, that ex what we call the existentialist argument. And the existentialist argument says it doesn't matter what you do in life as long as you do something. And it doesn't matter whether your heart tells you yes or no or maybe or whatever, as long as you follow whatever's in your heart, it's right. Just go off and do whatever it is. And then they put the clause in as long as no one else gets hurt. 
um, which is, of course, the mis- worst misnomer, you know, in terms of because people always get hurt when you follow your own selfish desires to its nth degree. Someone always is going to get hurt on that. But that's the whole justification that sort of hangs around it. Whereas the biblical word, when you look at what heart means, um, and this is just from some of the um, a combination of Old and New Testament when you look at the translation of it, it means intellect, it means awareness, it means mind, inner person, deepest thoughts, inner feelings, inner self. And it involves all thinking, all decisions, all emotions stem from the heart. It means, at the bottom line, it is our most true character. And it is also our most private character. It's not what is observed publicly, it is what is inside us. It is the inherent nature of who we are. Which is the reason that the Christian concept of the heart is so tough. Because when we look under that very close scrutiny, the inconsistencies of ourselves becomes very, very apparent. And that is where God really is targeting and God really is arguing about in whatever he says about the heart, he's talking about that. Now, so in every essence, um, it's about a divine injunction of what God expects as well as about the human condition. And the Bible says that those two need to be in alignment. What God expects of the heart, from the divine perspective, is what the we, as ourselves, have to respond to and agree to. It's that combination of the two. And that's something that no other religion expects of you. It's no other society or any other thing expects of you, but our God does. So, it really is a, a, a challenging thing. And um, one of the things that I, I've realized, and I mentioned this just when we were doing our, our um, a bit of um, involvement with some of the home group leaders in that on Friday, I said to them that I've been a Christian now for 30 years. And when I look over the 30 years at relationships that I've had, at churches that I've seen that have really thrived and people have thrived or where battles have come, it is always, to me, eventually centered on the issue of the heart. Because what we have to look, where people will rise or fall and, and the conflict or in circumstances or in situations will always depend on where their heart is. Um, there's a wonderful line in, um, in Steinbeck, um, in the Grapes of Wrath, when um, in Oklahoma, you know, these big dust bowls came through and literally stripped the land of all the soil. And there's this wonderful thing where he writes about that the men were standing by the fence looking as the dust bowl after three days of blowing disappeared. And the woman stood behind, the woman with the kids stood behind, and the woman stood behind and looked at the men. And what they were waiting for was to see whether the men had any fight left in them. Because if the men had fight left in them, they knew they could try and plant for another season. But if the men abandoned and said there's no point in carrying on, they knew they had to pack up and leave. And in our lives, our heart is very much like that situation. When our heart decides, that's it. We head for the hills. We retreat. If we have a sense where we lose hope in our heart, that is the thing which will determine whether we stand or fall. And what you always look at when you're looking in, and, and it's one of the things I always admire in movies about wars and everything else like that, one of the things that is, and it's very hard to understand and very bizarre because I hate guns personally, but I love war movies if that makes any sense at all, is because I do understand that there is an implication when you are put into a situation of extreme stress and somehow something rises up within you that can say, I can make it or I can do it. 
that denotes a quality of character and of heart that is most admirable. And that is what God is after in all of us. That is really, at bottom line, the rubber hits the road. I promised I wouldn't say that, but I have, I'm sorry. Um, the, um, that's really when it matters. It really matters when that type of character and that type of heart attitude comes through. Um, it's distressed me, personally, a great deal when um, I've seen people um, who I've known over many years battle. And it distressed me at one point, and, and one day after hearing about one particular incident with a guy, I, I just wrote this, this poem about it, that why do some run only to pull up? Why do some walk only to fall? Why do some stumble and pitch headlong? There is no reason, no lack of toil, no lack of effort and sweat, no lack of desire, no lack of purpose. Why are those who are so strong become weak and faint? Why do the talented bury all they have and squander an inheritance only to buy a future that leads to death? Why do the chosen ones change team? Why do the sons reject their father and the daughters their mother and tear down the house that gave them birth? And that really has to do with when the heart in the individual gets compromised. And so I know that this is every type of circumstance can be thrown in life, every type of disappointment. But what will cause us to have a heart that can endure? And that is what I believe God will say, yes, and you find the Bible's wonderful about this, it always acknowledges challenges and trouble and strife. But it also says, what happens for me to endure this? What happens that I can stand and see this through? And that is where I want to really just speaking tonight, is, is that around what God wants us in our hearts to have that enables us to endure, enables us to see through. Because no matter what comes our way, if we have a heart that is tough enough and solid enough and trusts God enough, we will endure. So there are three things that I really just want to cover tonight. Nice, good, classic three-point sermon. One thing I think certain denominations got dead right. Got dead right. We're spot on the money. <laughs> All right. Two um, comments I'm going to make, observations that came through from Tozer. We'll highlight two of the points. And then the third one is just some advice from Paul that he gave through to Timothy um, in his letter to Timothy, uh, to Timothy. So there's three points that I want to come through there on it. The first quote that I want to just read from is from Tozer, and it's this. Whatever is done without heart is done in the dark, no matter how scriptural it may appear to be. Whatever is done without heart is done in the dark, no matter how scriptural it may appear to be. One of the things that I've seen enormously is that people often fill their lives with scripture rather <coughs> than with spirit. They will become very dedicated to understanding lots of texts, lots of words, lots of steps, lots of books. I go to know some people's houses and that, and you go through, and they have every single book written about 100 topics on their shelves. They have 16 video things on the latest type of stuff that's going through. In one corner, dusty to the side, stands the New King James Bible, but they have read everybody else's opinion about the Bible, Read it rather than having sat down and actually gone through it themselves. 
And this, we are in an age of information, and, and again, there's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes said, of the writing of books, there is no end. And um, <clears throat> of the making of videos and the making of ministries and the making of everything, there is truly no end, I think, in today's world. The internet is a, uh, a, re- a reserve of phenomenal amounts of information that's sort of wandering around. Um, but the challenge with this, and this was a life-turning revelation for me, was that the principle is this. Um, if I hear the word of Scripture and do not apply it in my life relatively quickly, I will become immune to it. And that's a real concern. Because what it means is, and there's a whole school of faith, churches, that used to teach this. They used to teach all the time. If I just say it enough times, if I repeat it enough, if I hear enough, if I have the books on it, if I, have, if I just get all that type of thing right... You know, that head knowledge will protect me from everything that's going on. And I'm afraid it's one of the things that's a dire consequence of our age, is that we hear so much, but apply so little. And James talks about this when he says it's as if the man who forgets that he's saved, that he looks in a mirror and walks away and does not recognize his own face. And it is the same with the Word of God. If we hear truth, if we hear the Word of God, we are compelled to apply it. If you do not apply it, you will get used to it, your ears will become numb, your conscience will become seared, and eventually you'll go, someone will say to you, and you'll go, I know that. And while you're having, and I'm giving an outrageous example, but while I'm having an affair with another lady, I'll be going, I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. Why? Because the Word of God, the power of God's Word to arrest my heart and change my motive and change my desire is in I've become impervious to it. It just cannot break in. And I know that we have a lot of information, and I know that we have a whole lot of things, but honestly and truly I can say this, and I have this debate with a number of guys in the church who tell me, keep on throwing books my way, and I honestly say to them, I'm still wrestling with just trying to get through my own own Bible (laughs) consistently and applying many of the principles I see in the Word. I respect that there are other books, but the quotes I want to be giving are scriptural, and the lifestyle I want to have, I want to, is biblical, rather than according to anything else. And I'm not saying that some things aren't useful and helpful. We've had some wonderful things in the church that are around that. But I'm always amazed that people will run after some other person's opinion about something instead of going back to the source of all truth, which is Jesus, and to say, Lord, I need you to help me in this situation. Give me words of wisdom. Teach me how to apply my word and get on and do it. And that is a foundational heart issue. Because you need to settle that. It's one of the things you need to just address and say, my home is always the Bible. My home is always Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I will apply what I hear. If we applied everything we heard on every Sunday, I promise you, you would be so busy applying it, you would have no time almost for anything else in your life. It's when I don't apply the good counsel that I hear, marriage counsel, or the, or the promptings of the Holy Spirit or guidance, that I end up having trouble in my life. So that is the first part principle. Apply the word when you hear it. If you do not, you run a significant risk in becoming self-righteous and proud and ultimately barren. <clears throat> it's a high risk if you do that. The second quote that I think is worth mentioning. The human heart cannot exist in a vacuum. 
If men do not have joy in their hearts, they will seek it elsewhere. The human heart cannot exist in a vacuum. If men do not have joy in their hearts, they will seek it elsewhere. Joy in the Bible comes from two main sources. If you go and do a word source on it, it occurs, I think, nearly, I think it's about 80 or 90 references to joy in the, in the New Testament. It comes from two main sources. Firstly, from Jesus. He promises joy to every believer. And also from the Holy Spirit. Those two, if you understand those two together. That is your primary source of joy. It's a gift, it's a fruit. Fruit? Like a tomato. Is tomato a fruit or vegetable? The, um, the, the, but the, Holy, the joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it comes through joy. Jesus promises us joy. The second place of joy is from what? It's from relationships. When you look biblically right across the piece, it is joy that comes through relationships with others. Great is the joy of the brethren when they, you know, that old you know, Jewish song. I, I, could, I used to be able to do a Jewish dance. But I, no, the, 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 yeah, exactly, I learned that one. If you came from the faith movement, that along with Rick Astley, you know, those were the two that you learned. But, <clears throat> but it's in relationship and fellowship that we have a release of joy in our lives. And that is one of the signs of a church has to watch for, is if the joy quotient is out, what does that mean? It means two things usually. The Holy Spirit has left, and there's no relationship between the people. If you are struggling with joy in your life, the Holy Spirit, you've got to go to straight away and say, Holy Spirit, I need joy. The second area to look at, which is very practical, is look at your relationships. The people who become most miserable are the ones who become isolated. And there's an onus on us, and that's part of what I felt I shared prophetically this morning, is maybe in relationships you need the mustard seed to get going and put a, rela- a mustard seed in some relationship and say, I need it to start. And you can become a, like Sam, a center of all hive of activity and tons of people and, and everything else like that. But you've got to start somewhere. So the second principle is this. God's admonishment to us is to never forsake relationship. Not with Him or with each other. And it's so amazing when you look at people who come into trouble when the heart is troubled, the first thing they want to do is withdraw. And God says, no. Enter in. We won't always agree. We'll always have differences of opinion. We may not all like the other person's knees and colour the way they dress and the way they dance and, and various other things but we can't run away. Running away is not an option. <clears throat> and the last one that I want to share on now is from Paul um, and it's in his letter of Timothy. If you want to just turn to um, 2 Timothy 2 When Paul wrote to Timothy, and I know the guys who heard it on Friday heard me mention a little bit about this, but the letter was written in his last days. It was, it was at the time he was waiting basically to um, you know, be sentenced to, to have the sentence of death executed on him. Um, he knew he was going to have his head cut off because he was a Roman citizen. And so he must have been, if you can imagine being in that, knowing that these were your last couple of days, having a couple of last letters you could write out, sitting in, in, in sort of a jail, prison conditions, 
and you spent your whole life doing what you did. Um, It was a very lonely place, I think, for him. He was very thing. And he writes this last letter to Timothy, who he regards as a son, and he starts to impart on him. And what would you impart in your last letters? You know, if you had a chance to write, what would you do? And um, he... um, he, he didn't, you know, he, he had to at this time communicate all the last things he wanted to do. And what's amazing in it is he talks in that letter about people who have given him a hard time. But he never ever, he says, if there's something, he warns about things. But he mostly asks for people to pray for these people who gave him a hard time. It's an incredibly humble and, and open letter. He also doesn't ask, and this is a key thing, he doesn't ask Timothy in any way for loyalty. <clears throat> He doesn't ask Timothy to stand up and say, remember that I, you know, you've got to go and tell everybody that Paul was right. He doesn't, doesn't say that. His only charge to him is this. And if you read from verse 1 on chapter 2. You therefore, my son, <clears throat> be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who you were able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he completes according to the rules. And what he's getting on over that is he's saying to Timothy, remember that your first loyalty in everything you do is to Christ and his doctrine. Your loyalty must never have been to me or to any man or to any institution. It is firstly and most importantly to Christ. And one of the things of the heart that is very difficult when we go through times, loyalty is one of the things that I find rises its flag and flies very, very loudly and says, be loyal to X, be loyal to Y. And yet the biblical injunction says this, your primary responsibility is all you do in loyalty and in service is to Christ and to Christ alone. <clears throat> when you have that right, how you behave after that becomes easy. But if that gets mixed up, it's a very, very difficult thing to recover from. And when people forget that, suddenly denominations become more important. Certain theology becomes more important. Individuals become more important. And division happens. And you find there's an undermining of the other principles that we spoke about today. Loyalty must be to Christ and to Christ alone. If I explain it in my own context here, I've been in the church here since pretty much since the beginning in coming through. Ant knows all the time, in all the ups and downs and the things we've gone through and worked through and etc. Ant knows, as I know of him, that his loyalty is completely to Christ. The reason that Ant is my leader is because I trust that in him. If I feared Ant was more loyal to a man, I would not stay tomorrow. And the reason is, my first loyalty is to Christ as well. As for me and, that, and for our family. That's where it stands. And that has to be the way it is. When you have that right, God will tell you where to stay. He will tell you where to go. He will tell you where to build relationships. He will lead you. If that is not settled, 
You're going to have a problem being led by God. It's as simple as that. And often when people's loyalties become divided, they find the girl they actually like to marry, but she's not a Christian. Or there's an issue relating to something or circumstance. The loyalty goes and you find things creep in. And suddenly, you know, I feel in my heart. Yeah, I know what you're feeling in your heart. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit's promptings. Make sure these three things are settled. Because I find if these things are settled, these are things that will keep you focused on who Christ is and on what your calling is in Him. To serve effectively, you must serve Christ, not men. To have effective faith, it must be in Christ and not in men. If not, you will look for reward and recognition from people and position. You will be insecure and look to justify and manipulate your environment to get your security. And that is a legacy that I feel, you know, we've seen. I've lived in 30 years in the church, I've seen that happen. When identity is not in Christ, you find your identity in other things. Someone else's words, your success, your ambition, your talent, your money, whatever it is, that's where you'll find it. But your loyalty and your service is to Christ and Christ alone. So, the three things, just to recap. One, I serve Christ alone. My recognition and reward is from Him alone. That is the only way I will be an effective servant. Otherwise, I'm going to be chasing ants' affirmation and I rather want the affirmation of Christ. Number two, I must not forsake my relationship with Christ and with His bride, the church. If I do this, I will, if I do this, I will have, sorry, I must not. If I do not forsake it, I will have joy. That is God's promise to you. If you want joy in your life, relationship is the answer. And thirdly, I will apply the word as I hear it. When I know God is speaking to me and I hear the truth of it, I must apply it today, even if that is difficult or painful. That is why the Bible says if you have anything against any person, Put your offer before you get to the altar and make right with them first. That's the same principle in action. I apply the word as I hear it. It means if I do that, I will keep my heart soft and pliable for God to do anything through me in any situation and circumstance. So, that's what I really felt to share. As we, as a church, embark on a, we've got Vision Sunday coming through. Let's commit to making these truths in the, uh, before God to say these are the things we want to hold on to because if these are in place we can do anything.